Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Ryland. I'm one of the worship leaders here. And uh, I am jazzed up about this new series we are starting uh, today. If you are offended by happy people, you will be one of the most offended people you know for the next month. I am just so excited about this thing. I've been working on this for several weeks, and I could not be just more thrilled that it's here, that it's finally arrived. I really think that there is something here for everybody. I think that we're going to see the Word of God move among us powerfully, and that there are going to be a lot of lives changed. Uh, The theme for this series is revolving around the idea of godly living in an ungodly world. How do we do that? How do we live a godly life in a world that is just slipping away from God? It's only becoming more ungodly. And we're going to take a look at a book in the Old Testament called Daniel. The book of Daniel is about a guy named Daniel, written by Daniel. So we thought we would call this series... You're with me. Good. Like us, Daniel and his friends were faced with with living in a culture that was... Uh, slipping away from God. Now, some of the confusion, uh, just to set this up for you, when when people go to the Old Testament, when they read the Old Testament, is that uh, it's not in order. Uh, Maybe you've discovered that the Bible is not in chronological order, and that's because the books of the Old Testament are actually grouped together and organized based on what type of book they are. Uh, So the first five books are all in the same category, then you have a history section, a poetic section, and then a prophecy section, and you'll find the book of Daniel among the major prophets uh, of the Bible. Daniel is the most quoted book in the book of Revelation. Uh, This is awesome. Daniel saw the same end times vision uh, that the disciple John saw and wrote about. So in these messages, uh, we're going to deal with the historical and the prophetic accounts in this book and, and see how they apply to us thousands of years later. Actually, the Old Testament covers uh, about uh, 4,000 years of history. So from from Adam and Eve to Jesus, you've got about 4,000 years. And then so between the Old Testament and New Testament, it's completely silent. Those are called the silent years. There's 400 of them. And we're just right before that that silent section. And Daniel would have lived somewhere around 600 years B.C., 600 years before Christ. And what's interesting to continue to set this up for you is that this is a time in Israel's history where King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, the king of Babylon, which would be modern-day Iraq, came and defeated Israel. Israel was rebelling against God, and and God said to Israel, if if you don't follow me, I'm going to let the world have you. But Israel continued in their disobedience, and, and Babylon came in, and conquered them, and Israel was brought into what's known as, or what's called the captivity, or the exile. So the ones who didn't die in the war in Israel with with Babylon, the ones that didn't die were banned from their homeland, they were deported to Babylon, and then the tension of the book of Daniel is found when Daniel and his friends were trying to live a godly life while the law of the land was asking them, to live a life that just didn't care about God. And to be honest with you, I think that we're beginning to live in something similar, and there's a lot we can learn from Daniel. I think that this is 
a, a prophetic word, if you will, for this church, for our country, for this time. And I want to just jump right in. Daniel 1. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them in the treasure house of his God. Now this would have been the biggest disrespect there was to take uh, these sacred objects and then to put them in the house of, uh, of another God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, remember this name, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men. If I were Daniel, I would have made sure that part made it into the book as well. Select only strong, healthy, good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are, are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. Then the king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. And this would cause a problem uh, because according to their Jewish dietary laws, they weren't permitted to eat or drink these types of things. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. And then we're introduced to the starring cast of the strong, healthy, good-looking young heroes that have been taken from their homes and brought behind enemy lines into the king's court. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. So these four guys are confronted with culture asking them to do some things that they really didn't want to do. And the question for us today is, what do you do when culture shifts? What do you do when culture shifts? I'll ask it this way. When culture shifts, will you? Culture changes. God doesn't. But what we see today is culture changing and people asking God to change with the culture. It's going on even today in some churches. They say, well, when God said that, he was talking to a different culture. He didn't really mean that. So we're going to modify the Bible a little bit to fit, to fit our current current timeline, our current culture. Something is going to change. And you don't want God changing to you. You want to change to God. We don't have to look very hard to see cultures shifting. We see it in how we treat one another. We see it in what's allowed, what's not allowed in schools, what teachers can, can't say. We see it in government. We see it on our televisions. We hear it on the radio. We see it in the workplace. I mean, can we just all agree that there's a shift happening, that culture is, is changing, is shifting? Now, what I'm not going to do throughout this series is tell you what's right and what's wrong. You don't need me for that. You don't need me to stand up here for four weeks and tell you what's right and wrong. You have the Holy Spirit for that. So my role is to connect you to God and trust me, if you open up your life to God, if you open up your life to the Holy Spirit, 
he will lead you to godliness. In fact, as a church, we're not, we're not just some organization that's all about don't do this, don't do that, we hate this, we hate that, don't, 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 don't. You're not going to hear that here. You're going to hear us drawing in everyone from every background, from every belief, because we don't want to narrow the scope of whom we get to talk about Jesus to. So here's the deal as we go through this series. If I can connect you to Jesus in a powerful way, the Holy Spirit is going to begin to show you what's positive and what's negative in your life. But, but even unbelievers without Jesus, they don't have to look very hard. They don't have to look very long to see that, that culture is shifting. And what do we do when culture shifts? Well, let's look at what these four guys did when, when culture tried to change them. We're going to look at three things culture will try to do to you if you let it. And then we'll follow, follow this up with some solutions. The chief of staff, Ashpenaz, renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. And this is, this is the first goal of culture. Number one, culture will try to rename you. Write that in on your outline. Culture will try to rename you. It's going to try to change your identity from who God made you to be to what the world wants you to be like. And it's all a direct assault on your God-given destiny. And this is, honestly, this is why we urge you to take your next step at Rockbrook. Uh, because the first thing we want to do is, is you take the membership class and identify yourself with other believers. People who are living life successfully. And people who are living life successfully, they don't have any less problems than you do. They have a purpose. They, they know why they exist. So they're more fulfilled. They're more focused. And we want to help you find that. The second thing we want you to do is get into a small group so that we can address the lies and the labels that have been put on you. I don't know if you know this, but small groups aren't just another way to get you to read your Bible and have another devotion. Uh, none of us need just another lesson. We need friends. <clears throat> we need real friends. And we hope you learn something in small groups, but that's not really our goal. Our primary goal is to get you close enough to someone else where you can say, hey, can, can I tell you something I've never told anyone before? We want you to get close enough to someone where you can have an honest, real conversation about your life and they can help you start applying truth to your life and you can do the same for them. Even in a small group, you need a small group. You know, maybe there's a few things that you don't tell the whole group, but, but you tell a couple of accountability partners within the group. You know, I have that. You know, a fool tries to walk through trials, temptation by himself. You need a true friend. A triple braided cord is not easily broken. Some of you are living, uh, with, living life with a label that the world has put on you that contradicts the label God wants to put on you. And God has a redemptive name he wants to put on us. 
We want you to know the name God put on you, not the name the world or the devil is trying to put on you. Now, this is going to be a little eerie, but I want to show you the meanings of these four guys' Hebrew names and then the meanings of the Babylonian names they were given. Daniel. Daniel means uh, God is my judge. I answer to God and God alone. But his Babylonian name, they renamed him Belteshazzar, which means lady, protect the king. The first attack of culture is on your gender. There is gender confusion. You're a lady and, and you don't answer to God, you answer to us. There's a focus shifting, focus is shifting from God to man. Don't you listen to God, this is who you really are. And I would say, don't listen to man's labels, listen to your creator. Next, Hananiah. I love this name, it means Yahweh has been gracious. Oh, what an amazing God I serve. Yahweh has been gracious, but they renamed him Shadrach, which means I am fearful of God. We see that there's a shift happening, focus is shifting from God is good to God is bad. God's bad. He's, he's going to restrict your life to boredom. Christians, they're boring. Christians are freaks. God's not for you. He's against you. That's a lie. That's a lie. God is for you. He proved that he is for you when he died for you. Would you die for someone that, that you're not for, that you don't love? Everything God has written is for your good. And if you follow him, in his ways, you will be fulfilled. You don't have to be afraid of God. He's gracious. It's, it's an honor to serve him. Next, Mishael. Mishael means who is what God is? Who is what God is? I love this. This just kind of cuts through, gets to the point really quick. Hi, my name is Mishael. I'm confident that there is no one like my God. But they renamed him Meshach means I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. And there's a focus shifting from confidence to cowardice. You Christians need to hush. You Christians need to take your business somewhere else. You Christians need to stop telling us, hey, there's, there's separation of church and state. Well, the whole goal of separation in church and state wasn't so that I would, wouldn't interfere with, uh, with government. It's so that government wouldn't interfere with Christianity. They've got it backwards. They're trying to make cowards of us. I'm not saying be brash. I'm not saying go out looking for a fight. I'm saying don't lose your confidence in God and his ways. There is no one like our God. I'm not gonna live a despised, contemptible, and humiliated life. I'm not going to be afraid to live what I believe. Because that's the label that the world is trying to put on you. Lastly, Azariah. Azariah means Yahweh has helped. Uh, it's an enduring term. It, it means I am close to God. But they renamed him Abednego, servant of Nebo. Focus is shifting from son to slave. Culture will try to tell you, you're not a child of God, you're, you're a slave to God. You're not free, you're in bondage. 
I'll tell you today, when culture shifts, you better know who you are. Write that in. You better know who you are. You need to be secure in your identity in Christ. You better know that you're a child of God, that he died for you, that he loves you, that God looks with favor on those who believe in him and have put their faith in Jesus Christ. He is for you. That's why I'm urging you to get healed from the lies the devil has told you. Because you've got to know who you are. The next thing culture tries to do to you is found in verse 8. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself. Circle the word determined. This is great. Another translation says Daniel was resolved. Daniel was a man of purpose. He was simply determined not to participate. Uh, he wasn't starting rallies. He wasn't out picketing. He didn't start, uh, he wasn't starting Facebook pages and he didn't launch a social media talk radio campaign. He was a man of purpose. He was simply resolved. He was determined. Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. And there's, there's a couple things going on here. One, this food was outside their dietary laws. And two, this food would have been first used as a sacrifice to their idols and then offered at the table. So he asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Notice how Daniel balances civility and resolve, courtesy and determination. Why? Because when culture shifts, culture will try to tame you. It will try to make us a group of people with, with no convictions. It will try to lure us into something that is wrong. It's not going to hurt that bad, and I don't want to rock the boat, so I'll just do what everybody else is doing. Culture is constantly trying to tame you, and when culture shifts, don't lose your convictions. Don't lose your convictions. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating uh, the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of the Lord, the king, who was ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age... I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days. The, the number 10 is, is a number associated with testing in the Bible. The 10 commandments were given to test Israel's faith in God. Uh, the tithe is a test. God says, test me in this. The disciples were in the upper room waiting for Pentecost but while being hunted down for 10 days. When culture shifts, you will be tested. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water. Daniel said, at the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. There will always be a test. There will be a moment when culture will get up in your face 
and you will have a decision to make. Why? Because, number three, culture will try to claim you. It will try to claim you as its own. There's, there's a battle over you, okay? The, the world is pulling on one arm, God is pulling on the other, and you cast the deciding vote. It's your decision. There's a battle over you, and you decide who wins. We're going to talk about this next week, the battle over worship. <laughs> you do not want to miss that message. But let me tell you today, when culture shifts, never give in to the pressure. Come on, let's go. Your parents won't find out. Come on, you can drink this. You can look at that. You can go there. You can click on that. No one will ever know. No one will ever know. Let me tell you, never do anything that's initiated by the words, no one will ever know. Never do anything that starts that way. If you want to be a difference maker, never give in to the pressure. Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. God's way is always better. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine provided for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. God supernaturally blessed Daniel and, and gave him this insight. And we're not going to study chapter 2, but you can read it this week. Daniel interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and Nebuchadnezzar confesses, your God is the real God. It's amazing. Verse 18, when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them, say it with me, ten times more capable. Come on, say it again. Ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in, in his entire kingdom. God is ten times more capable. He's 10 times better anything the world can offer you. God is 10 times more capable than any other. He is the better God. He is the best God. Who is like the Lord? And that leads me to this question. It's the question I want you to take with you today. When culture shifts, will I shift with it? Or will I shift towards God? Write that in. When culture shifts, will I shift with it? Or will I shift towards God? Will I change the world or will the world change me? I've got to decide if I will shift with the culture or not. I've got to decide whether, whether I will set the culture or reflect the culture. Let's be a people of God that don't look like everybody else. We don't need to reflect the culture. We need to set the culture. We don't need to be a thermometer. We need to be a thermostat. We've got to stand up and say, there's a better way. God's way is 10 times better. And then live, and then live the better way. 
Jesus himself said, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I believe that you can be so fulfilled that people will ask, how do you do it? How do you do it? It's, it's Jesus. He's 10 times better than anything I found before. He's, he's 10 times more capable. Here's the question. When culture shifts, will I shift with it or will I shift towards God? It's a question of identity. Who are you going to identify with? The world or God and his people? Later on in the Bible, in the New Testament, after Jesus rose from the grave, after he ascended into heaven, the church was, was getting established, and another man with insight from God wrote, Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. The question here is, will you identify with Christ or culture? Uh, we see where culture is headed. I've seen what the world has to offer, and it doesn't have anything for me. It doesn't have anything I want. Everything the world offers leads to death. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Someone, someone told me once that if sin makes them bad, they're okay with that because they're okay with being bad. I've got news for you. Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. You see the bad news of the gospel, the bad news of the gospel. And you've got to have some bad news before you get to the good news. Some churches, they're all bad news. Maybe you've been to one. But you got to have just a little bit of bad news before you get to the good news. And sometimes we are really confused on what the bad news is. You see, the problem isn't that we're bad and we need to go to church to get good. Because as good as you might get, it still won't reach the standard of perfection. No, no, no. The wages of sin, the payoff of sin is death. We're all sinners, and the reward for sin is a dead and dormant soul and the inability to have a relationship with God. And none of us have the power to get alive. That's one of the side effects of being dead. You can't do anything for yourself. And into this story, into this problem, comes the good news. Jesus says, I'm perfect. And I know that your imperfection separated you from me, and I know that you're incapable of finding your way back to me, so I'm going to come find you. Even more than that, I'm going to step out of perfection onto planet Earth, into the mess you made. Hey, I'm coming for you. And here's why. Here's why I'm coming. Because you're dead. Hey, if you were just bad, I would have just sent you a story. If you were just bad, I would have just sent you the 10 things you would need to do to get better. If you were just bad, I would have given you a step-by-step -step program to get you back on track. But no, 
you're dead. So I'm going to need to come find you because just like you had nothing to do with your birth, there's nothing you can do to be born again. So I will take your place. I will take your sin. I will take your shame and suffer the death for you. So then by the power of God, when I'm raised from the dead, by the power of God, you can be raised from the dead. Somebody say amen. Amen. So no matter who you are, you're not perfect. But no matter how far you've fallen, it doesn't come anywhere close to how far Jesus went when he came from heaven to earth. And whatever sin has done to you, the grace of God can do 10 times more. Because where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. God brought us back to life through Jesus' death and resurrection. And when we identify ourselves with Jesus, when we believe that his sacrifice made a way for us to be right with God, and when we take on the redemptive name he is giving us, we are given eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Today, if you are hopeless, if you are here today and you are lost, it's because the world and your sin has left you lifeless. The world will try to rename you. It will try to tame you. Ultimately, the world is trying to claim you for its own. But God wants you to identify with him as his child. And he's done all the work to make that possible. All you have to do is respond to him. And I invite you to do that today. Would you pray with me? Let's all bow our heads together. I believe that it's it's time. It's time for many people in here to start following Jesus. Some have gone to church for a long time, but it's time to surrender everything to God, to identify with him, And believe in him for eternal life. It's time to wear the label Christian as a symbol of your relationship with Jesus. I believe that many people in here are one heartfelt, sincere prayer away from surrendering everything they have to him. So I invite everyone in here to pray this out loud together. Be bold this morning. Everyone, out loud, repeat after me. Heavenly Father, make me new. I believe Jesus died for me so I could live with you. Forgive me of my sins. Raise me to life. Fill me with your spirit. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to let me know if you'd write on the back of the communication card, I gave my life to Christ today. I think there's a lot of people in here that prayed that prayer for the first time, so come on, Rockbrook, let's give them a hand.